So I think we should probably get started, friends. What do you think? We have, um, it looks like we have a good number of people in the breakout, which is nice to see. And uh, maybe we should just start with introducing ourselves, each of us, and then we can start having the conversation about radical listening. And um, I'll start just by saying I'm Julie Fernandez from the Rockefeller Family Fund. I am Ashley Bolden from Missouri Jobs with Justice. And I'm Meg Bostrom from the Topos Partnership. So Ashley and Meg and I today are going to have a conversation that we hope is participatory, that we have people help engage with us around. We're having a conversation about what we're, about some work that we did together in 2019 that's actually ongoing here in 2020 that was related to work in Missouri around um, what the folks in Missouri are calling transformative conversations, but an approach to this work that we thought was interesting and wanted to share. I want to start, though, our conversation together by just asking people, and you can put the answer in the chat, um, asking people if any of you have ever done canvassing, knocking on doors, asking people questions, asking people to become members of an organization, asking people to donate to something, asking people to um, uh, raise their awareness around an issue. Anybody done canvassing? And if you have, put in the chat like one or two words that when you reflect and think back on doing that, what those words are that would come to mind. So we can share those just for a minute. And I'll share my word. So I've done canvassing. It always makes me nervous. <laughs> it always makes me nervous because I'm nervous about, is anybody going to answer the door? How are they going to react to me? I worry they're going to have a negative reaction to me. Like who's behind that door? And depending on what neighborhood I'm canvassing in, I really worry about who's behind the door. And I worry about, am I going to have anybody to talk to? And I worry about feeling rejected. Yeah. Anybody else have any words? I don't know, Meg or Ashley, what words would, I know you guys have, I know you've all canvassed. <laughs> Ashley's the most experienced. I, you know, a million years ago, I, I actually was an organizer and uh, my oldest son became an organizer in the Obama yeah. campaign. Um, and I'll reflect on that one because watching my oldest son be an organizer and then helping him canvas and taking our younger son and seeing canvassing through my younger son's eyes was fascinating because he was both enthusiastic and terrified at the same time because it, it just feels like you you enthusiastic because if you find a like-minded person it's wonderful but terrified because if you find a like-minded person a not like-minded person you're afraid that you're going to get in an argument and that's you know pretty intimidating yeah um i always go with exciting because uh you never know what you're gonna get Right. <laughs> I'm like a middle, I'm, I am the middle child. So like, I like to randomly annoy people anyway. So, you know, it's natural to just say, hey, I need to talk to you. It's going to bug you till I get to talk to you. Well, it's interesting because I think we all bring our personalities, as you just said, Ashley, to canvassing. 
and I saw some of the words coming on the chat that I'll just pull out a couple of them. Some people wrote awkward, courage, yeah, which is kind of, you know, part of nervous, I think. Um, connection was a good one. Vulnerable was a good one. Um, scared, exciting. And someone wrote in people can surprise you, which I also think is, um, it's also interesting and true. And then for those of, for all of us really who have done this, if we could try what we're going to talk about today, it's helpful to put your mind in a mind frame of what if rather than knocking on a stranger's door, you were sitting down to talk to a neighbor. Hmm. So rather than you were in like a setting where you were just having a conversation. So it wasn't about your being at the door trying to get or persuade someone of something, but rather you're in a context and you're trying to kind of figure somebody out. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about a bit today is the difference between those two um, methods of talking to people and how we are trying together to kind of push in on the second one. So I'll give a little bit of context to this. Then we're going to just have a conversation around just that we have a little shared sense of exactly what I'm talking about. Um, in 2019 in Missouri, Ashley with Missouri Jobs with Justice and other partners in the uh, C3 Civic Engagement table there, the MOVE Coalition, they were grappling with trying to figure out how to develop a narrative and engagement strategy that could be authentic to people's lives and effective at mobilizing a multiracial progressive coalition toward joint action. And they, uh, what they knew, and Ashley will talk a lot more about this, but just to set the table, was that what they were doing was not working. They were not being able to effectively connect with black urban folks, black rural vote folks and white rural folks in a shared kind of uh, soup of connection that could bring them to shared action and then to building power. And they knew, at least they posited, that there were all kinds of issues in common between black urban, black rural and white rural, but they just kind of weren't getting there with how they were approaching the problem. So, and the, part of the challenge with, try, with trying to crack this particular nut was that both organizers and professional communicators are both drivers. Organizers, again, those of us who've done organizing, what are you doing? You're trying to um, persuade someone of something. Right? You're trying to get to the door and say, I want you to do X. So you're driving to that. Or I'm trying to organize you into X. Because we're organizers, right? We're trying to organize people to do something that we want them to do. And then communicators also, professional communicators, are usually have ideas in their head already about how people think and about how people um, come to their, and they sort of uh, have all kinds of categories already in their head. And they're really just trying to figure out what box do you fit into? So they have the boxes in their head and trying to figure out which box are you? Are you in this box or this box? This is not, I'm not trying to be, this is just descriptive, I think, of how we do our jobs. 
So the idea that the folks at Missouri Jobs with Justice came up with is what if we did this differently? What if we started with listening for real? And what if we for real knocked on people's doors and called them on the phone and just had open-ended what, what I was calling at the time, start from zero conversations with folks to not say, do you like the analogy I sometimes use is that if someone were to ask me, do I like milk or dark chocolate? I would say milk, but the truth is I don't like chocolate. Truth is I like pie, but you'd <laughs> never know that if your script has you asking me, do I like milk or dark chocolate? So you don't get to sort of what I'd like, and you certainly don't get to the values that I bring to my decision-making about sweets or anything else. So the idea that Move and their partners had was, can we actually start with what we're for this session calling radical listening, real listening? And then how, if we're doing that, how do we capture what we're learning and make sense of it in a way that can be useful and informative for our developing some common narrative and message that helps people see each other and see issues that allows them to build this multiracial progressive movement. So that was this like wacky aspiration that we all had and came together around. And so now we're gonna have, uh, the, have a conversation about how this actually played itself out. So I'm gonna start out with uh, asking Ashley, maybe you could just share with us you know, where you guys were in more detail, I was just kind of giving the headline, in 2018, what you were grappling with and what you were, what you were facing at that time. Ashley. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Um, so in 2018, we collected enough signatures to raise the minimum wage here in the state and also get money out of politics and in gerrymandering. Uh, and we knew we had to do the money in politics and gerrymandering thing because we had been getting beaten over and over and over, or we would pass something and then it go to the legislator and it would be repealed. And so this year, 2018, we had defeated right to work. Uh, we did win on money in politics and we did raise the wage, but we have a whole Republican statewide slate. And so we cannot figure out why people were voting their values when it comes to these issues but not their values when it was coming to these elected officials that were speaking to them. And so um, MOVE had already decided that we wanted to start building a multiracial, multicultural movement um, because we knew we weren't gonna keep winning with the same stuff we were already doing. And we wanted to figure out how do we also talk to the voters about that and if this is something they also care about. And um, because so many times we, you know, we poll, we go out, we collect signatures, we think we know what they want, we think we know what they want to hear, but, um, you know, after the elections, everybody was scratching their head around, like, how do we break through these dog whistles that these elected officials are using? Um, why is it that rural voters are supporting these issues, but not the candidates that support the issues? Um, and we knew we were going to have an uphill battle because 
you got all these legislators going into session who are going to repeal everything we just won. And um, I mean, they absolutely tried to do it and we're fighting on that on the ballot now. But um, yeah, that's, that's uh, the biggest reason why we were going into this is really trying to figure out how do we talk to these voters and MOVE is made up of so many different organizations. There are rural organizations, there are Black-led organizations. There's my organization, which is community and labor and faith. There are strictly faith-led organizations. So how are we messaging to all these different bases um, our values? And right. how are we building in non-traditional spaces? So small towns in Missouri and what we call rural spaces in Missouri. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like you were really identifying this disconnect and then trying yeah. to figure out what is the story that some of these folks have in their head that, yeah. that allows them, what's the narrative framework in their head and the story that allows them to say yes on this issue, but yes also on this politician that is like against this issue. Yes. Over and over and over again. So what's that story? you know, that they're playing in their heads. Um, and there was something here that came up in the chat I just thought we might want, you might want to address, Ashley, is that someone made a comment that, that canvassing is something that, um, that is on an urban-suburban frame and that in the rural areas there isn't canvassing. Is that your experience in Missouri? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys can't, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we canvass everywhere, but that is, that is the um, experience. And in this particular project, we wanted to go into those territories where people aren't talking to them. And later, um, I'll show the map of Missouri about where we were going that wasn't traditional Kansas City, Columbia, St. Louis, Springfield. Right. So it was more. Right. And there and may really, be, yeah, go ahead. And really um, engaging with larger programs for folks that were talking to folks in rural areas. And so we had doors and phones running in the rural areas because, you know, some places you can't get to all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, some of those communities, you know, it's a one day canvas and that's it. But we really worked hard to get to non-traditional places. And to try and find where, where and how you could have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Because just because the canvas is hard to do, you still need to have the conversations. And how yeah. do we figure that? That's a nut we're still trying to crack. I want to get to you, Meg, to have you jump in about, so Topos, you know, is a partnership between ethnographers, cognitive um, scientists, other so sort of social scientists that really has, I mean, I think this is where how this pairing was born, has this non-traditional approach to how do we do um, uh, messaging narrative in ways that are related to civic engagement and political behavior, but not from this, that, that actually really does start with trying to understand how people think. So could you maybe just walk us through a bit about the methodology that you developed in partnership with Ashley and the MOVE folks? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 just a, a quick minute on perspective, um, the, the work we're doing at at the Topos Partnership, we think of it as understanding the cultural common sense. And by that, we mean the ideas that are largely unconscious and pervasive. We don't realize that they are ideas that are persuasion. 
we just think they're common sense, and yet they have enormous power to influence how we think about policy. And so with that as our approach to how we think about communications, you can imagine we spend a lot of time listening. You know, ethnography is at the core of a lot of the work we do. It's not, it's not the only method we do, but it's a lot of what we do. And so when Julie and Ashley started talking with us about these transformative conversations, it's like, oh wow, that, that sounds like exactly the kind of thing that we do. And we would love to be part of this process. And so in this instance, our job was really to observe. Uh, we were part of the team, but we were a supporting member of the team. Uh, the organizers were in the lead, and our job was to observe, to help gather, to help analyze, to help interpret um, what the organizers were seeing and hearing. So just real quickly, I'll just pop one screen up here because I think we're all tired of PowerPoint, but hmm. numbers are a little easier to, to see rather than hear. So in this instance, we did uh, in-person observation as well as secondary observation where we were you know, analyzing recordings uh, with multiple organizations in multiple locations. So you can see here some of the counts on door canvas, phone canvas, listening sessions, as well as um, questionnaires that were gathered across thousands of interviews. And, and Ashley will talk about that. We also did in-depth interviews with some of the folks who were doing the work and went to a conference of uh, canvassers where we could um, debrief and learn a little bit more about their experience. Um, and so, so some of these, I mean, to, to just add to what Ashley was saying a second ago, um, it looked a little different in different places. So, you know, the door canvas tended to be more urban suburban, although there was some of that in small towns as well. Uh, the listening sessions were something that our rural partner uh, put together because a lot of that is very relationship based. And so bringing right. people together around a table to have coffee um, is part of what we looked at. Uh, and so then what's not on here is the extensive way in which um, MOVE collected information from each of these interviews. And I don't know if that's something that we'll get to a little bit later, but you know, minivan and other data capturing tools were stretched to the limit in terms of finding ways to capture the real essence of the conversations here, not just, you know, closed ended check a box. What issue does this person care about? I think that's an important point just to stay on for a second, just because I think it's, it's very real. When you were talking about this, trying to stretch minivan, like this is one thing maybe I can even get, get you to jump in here, Ashley, around like, you know, a lot of your folk, one of the challenges, I think, when we talk about the challenges of doing this kind of work, that there's a tool that your organizers are using that is just not built for this. Nope. Can you expand a little bit on sort of some of that? Yeah, so um, it was a total nightmare to me at first <laughs> because I was like, oh my God, we have to capture so much information right. and how are we gonna do this in a way that Topos gets it and can understand it. Um, our leads can analyze it a little bit and make sure people are asking deep questions. Right. Also like, are we capturing everything? And so we didn't just use the van, we ended up using a Google form as well. And like we printed up all, we have boxes of paper. Um, <laughs> And folks, Sorry, environmentalists. 
they, they wrote down every single thing somebody said. And um, folks also recorded conversations. Right, because you so, can do that in Missouri, right? Yeah, you can do that. Um, yeah, we're one of those state of misery. You can do that here. <laughs> Um, and so we recorded some of the stuff on the phone banks, but we recorded some of the door conversations as well, mm -hmm. um, just so Meg and Tofos can hear everything. And um, Jamila came down and um, Kira from the Analyst Institute, they both came down and went out with the canvassers in all over Missouri to hear what people were actually saying and to witness the process um, that was going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's something I want to highlight just for a second, um, that we're not talking about it on this webinar, but part of this partnership was the Analyst Institute that also ran an experiment that happened after the uh, ethnographic and cognitive science work. So there's even more to this than we're talking about today to try to understand the impact of the transformative narratives that were kind of uh, discovered during this process and to sort of assess their impact on changing people's sense of shared destiny and you know working together across racial lines. So uh, we're not even gonna get to that, but that was um, one thing I wanna ask you about Meg, when you mentioned on your list of uh, your method, the conference of canvassers, mm -hmm. it seems to me like canvassers know so much yeah because they're talking to people every day, but right. we don't always think to even listen to them right. about their wisdom, about what's landing and what's not landing and what they're hearing from folks that really, if you were to capture it, like, oh, that's how their mind is working on this. Can you, I mean, what is your reflection on, on that piece of it? Exactly. Oh, no, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and, and so that's why you can see there were kind of multiple touch points. There was, you know, um, my colleague Jamila actually going uh, on some of the door canvas. We were all listening in on some of the phone canvas. There was the time we were able to spend in person with organizers to hear about their experience and ask about it. And the conference was amazing. I mean, just the all of the energy in the room, which really brought, brought forward, and Ashley can speak to this more authentically than I, but brought forward both the the difficulty, the challenge, the, yeah. the, the, how emotionally and mentally draining this work was, and at the same time, how rewarding and important it was, because they recognized that they were on the front lines here of, of creating change. Right, exactly. Let's just pivot for a second to you, Ashley, to talk about um, on the research design, and you had that slide about the scale of the program. Maybe you could just talk us through a little bit about that here. Yeah. So, um, we had to do a lot of work. Um, <laughs> so we did uh, 32,000 plus calls, 25,000 plus knocks to get about 5,000 conversations. And these were 5,000 conversations where they answered, I think we had six questions, four or six questions, where they, ans they answered all of them. Um, and so there were a lot of um, conversations not finished, um, but this was the majority of over 5,000 were done. It's pretty good. Wow. Here um, is where we were throughout Missouri. Um, 
normally people say in Missouri, our politics lie on the 70 line. And so that's how you get from St. Louis to Kansas City. And if you can see that, it's pretty much north and south. Um, so we were talking to people um, north of Columbia, uh, south of Columbia, a lot in southwest Missouri, where the only small town there is Springfield and Joplin. Um, it was a lot of stuff done outside of Springfield, a lot of stuff done in the Boot Hill, where that is one of the poorest counties um, in the nation um, and continues to be underrepresented. And we went down there and had a lot of conversations. And you can see the different color dots, go different color organizations. Um, and MRCC is our rural partner. You can see they have brown dots everywhere. I've got red dots everywhere. And Planned Parenthood has a lot of dots. Mm -hmm. But um, our more traditional um, Black-led orgs stayed in St. Louis. Um, and that was great and that was intentional. Um, but we did have, um, again, here's another slide to show, we did do the majority of our work in rural and small towns. We did not mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff in um, our urban areas because, I mean, a lot of that is base support who vote with us a lot all the time. And we really wanted to go into these districts where folks were just not with us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was a lot of um, work to get down to 5,000 conversations that were transcribed into a Google form from like 5,000 different organizations. And so if you get bored, some days you just comb through and read the conversations. And so, I mean, some of them were really good, right? So there were some times when you'd have a door in Southwest Missouri where somebody is like, no, I don't really think about race. I don't, I don't see any issues. And all of a sudden the canvasser would share their story and the connection. Oh, well, my child is going through that or my grandchild is going through that. And I really don't think about those issues now. So maybe I should think about that stuff when I'm choosing a candidate or when I'm thinking about talking to my neighbors around issues of our communities. Um, people, you know, we're saying education um, was a really, really big thing. And a lot of our organizations don't particularly work on education, but what it did was the organizations that did, it gave them a new base of people where they can go and say, hey, we know in Southeast Missouri, these folks really care about education and we should go down here and engage them in that stuff. Right. Um, as well as local control, we didn't realize that so many people had local fights that they wanted to engage. And it was at the debrief with all of the canvassers and the leads where they were really pushing us on like, we can't stop this work. We have to go back into these communities and keep identifying ourselves and having these conversations or else people are going to be like, well, what was that for? And right. the communities were really happy to have somebody come in. There were communities full of um, older white people down in Southeast Missouri. And um, they were really happy to see like some black canvassers come to their door and they were like, wow, you want to listen to us after we have been like a certain way towards you all? Like, oh, okay, maybe things are changing. And, and they would use dog whistles like, you know, 
we aren't giving him a fair shot or mm. uh, I don't think I'm gonna vote for him next time. I think I made the wrong decision sometimes would be some of the answers. Um, well, they talk about the city, you know, the city is having you know, all these resources go to the city. Oh, so that's for black what, people. Some right. people, some people really struggle with that question because they didn't understand the division and they didn't, I mean, they're not really experiencing that division. They're not really seeing it. But when you would talk to them about, okay, so your school districts are going away too, like our school districts are in the urban areas. And then it's like, aha. So we are both being, oh, you all don't have jobs. Like we don't have jobs. Oh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> your healthcare is going away. Like our healthcare is going away. You all don't have hospitals out here in the rural areas, and and right. so it, it you could see the connection starting to come. And but when you would ask people like, so what do you think we can do to come together? Then the apathy would come back up. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe we should pray. Well, well, maybe we can do this. And so having an invitation on the end to invite them into your organization um, was really important because it was just a step, right? It's just a step into building this multiracial movement that we want to do in our organizations, but also a step for this voter to think about how they can change their lives in their community. Right. When it comes to race and, and tough issues, but it sounds like what you're describing actually is kind of like education both ways that the canvassers were sort of open to because they're having conversations in play, around where they haven't had them before in an open-ended way they hadn't had it before and they wanted more because they're like hold on we're, we're tapping into something real here so they're learning and then also the the people who you're talking to are kind of seeing oh wait a minute there may be some openings for uh, maybe there is something here that there's a way forward, or maybe there is some commonality I didn't identify before. One thing I do want to have you pull out a little bit is um, someone in the chat was talking about, there's a news article about some canvassers being pulled off the doors in Minnesota because I uh, can't read the article, but it says amid racism and intimidation. I mean, certainly you had some of your canvassers that had uh, black canvassers that were knocking on doors in rural areas, uh, yeah. white areas that had you know racist comments and slam I mean, doors the, the, in their sheriff, face. the sheriff will start following them around the town um people would say the n-word and for some of them if you were a certain age and you use that language they would be like okay this is just how you talk and we can respect you you you're respecting us we're respecting you we'll be okay but some of that stuff you know they they'll slam the doors, they'll pull out guns. And so just being aware of like, are you safe? Do you feel safe? If not, get out of there. And it's okay to get out of there because right. I'm not trying to traumatize you either. Right, exactly, and, right. And so that's why a big part of the debrief was like shaking off some of that dirt because every night you hear about these canvassers and even the white canvassers hearing other white voters say things like, well, I don't see anything wrong. There's nothing wrong out here. There's no racism. Um, or them saying some really racist comments to them also hurted them. Like they were like, ew, this person was disgusting. I don't want to go back. They said we should hang them all. Like 
could you imagine hearing that from like 15 people a day and then going home and you got to type it in, you know, like, I don't want to hear it and then have to transcribe it. It does seem like though having the community that you built though, Ashley, I think it was kind of really important. And I remember thinking this at the time that like those canvassers were not coming back to nothing after that experience. They were right. coming back to community, to yeah. other people who were having similar experiences. And even though they might not want to type it in, it's actually helpful. It can be helpful, maybe not for everyone, to sort of have a safe space to be like, damn, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. Oh, what yeah. happened to me? So you don't feel like you're alone in that. It's still a terrible feeling. Um, it's a terrible feeling. And it, you can carry it around with you. And there are people who don't want to do it anymore after that. Like oh, I there were people who didn't oh, yeah. want to do it after the first no. day of canvassing. They no. were like, this is not traditional canvassing. What the hell is this? <laughs> I was stuck on the door for 30 minutes. I don't like this. It makes me feel dirty. I don't want it. Right. Right. Or even <laughs> knowing that people are saying things to you that are so personal and negative to, yeah. your, to you and your community. And you just feel like, you know, I don't need this. I got enough going yeah. on. But I do think one of the strengths of your program, which I know was also a challenge in other ways, was that because you had a number of different groups that were doing this, so you had people like the Missouri Rural um, Crisis Center. Uh-huh. Crisis Center. So they're used to working in the rural areas. They can kind of be sort of like helpers to help you know, drive that work. So I think that diversity may have helped you. Um, there's a question in here, Meg, that someone had a Q&A about, um, mixed methods. And I know we're not talking about the, the, um, the quantitative part here, but can you give like a little bit of a, just a cup, one minute on the, the mixed method design that we had with the Analyst Institute? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I want to underscore one thing real quickly that, that part of the reason that these particular canvassing interventions were so emotionally draining is because we were having conversations about race. I mean, we were inviting deep, difficult conversations that are very emotionally difficult. Um, At the same time, I think we were quite fortunate that no one was physically assaulted because canvassers do get physically assaulted and and one even died in the last couple of days. So um, yeah, so there, we chose to focus on the observational or qualitative component today because it's where we got the richest narrative insights. But there were two other layers of quantitative information that were also important that are also an important part of this program. One is the, the sheer number of um, responses that were captured by organizers at the door. I mean, it, it, you would not believe the charts that Ashley has at her disposal <laughs> the, the, in terms of the issues people care about and where they land on certain kinds of questions, where they did the interviews, et cetera, thousands and thousands of data points. Um, that enrich this work. Separately, as um, Julie referred to a minute ago, uh, the Analyst Institute came in with a quantitative component where they selected out a group of folks to be our experiment, divvied them up. We have the control group, we have the experimental group, we then went and canvassed the experimental group, did pre-interviews before they were canvassed and then post-interviews after they were canvassed to be able to demonstrate the impact. And so there's learning from that about impact. And the reason that the qualitative or observational component was brought in was to help interpret 
what, what those numbers meant. If we were seeing movement, why? If we weren't seeing movement, is there something else going on there that we can learn? And I think in general, um, I think that we and in a lot of and some, many of the projects that I'm working on in um, at this intersection of organizing civic engagement and building power in communities of color with the Democracy and Power Innovation Fund, which is a pooled fund that I manage out of the Rockefeller Family Fund. A lot of our work is mixed method. So we try very hard to sort of figure out what's the learning that we can get through a qualitative uh, process. What's the learning that we can get through observational quantitative, like, you know, just getting all the data and then looking at it, like data collection and analytics. And then what's the learning we could get out of an experiment. So not to think that any one of those is actually telling us everything we need to know, but how do we use these different instruments to paint a bigger picture, particularly when we're trying to measure the connection between narrative and message and civic engagement and power building, because it's not like the answer is four, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not the answer. Like these are people. And so there are certain, you can measure behavior in some ways quantitatively, which can be very useful but when you're trying to measure how people's ideology is shifting alongside that behavior, then you, you, you have to layer it in different ways. So I'm a huge proponent of um, figuring out which method helps me learn what we're trying to learn to paint a very a mosaic that gives us the actual picture. And each of those pieces helps us see it. Um, okay, so maybe we can go here to... Um, talk a little bit about your uh, your narrative slide, Meg, with your the shifts. So what did we learn qua uh, qu through this uh, qualitative what, what were the qualitative sort of narrative shifts and insights that we saw? Yeah, and, and I'll just touch on these in a broad way. Um, we had part of what we were doing with the observational work was understanding narrative shifts, you know, what's going on, what are we up against and what can we do differently. And part of it was understanding the, the process of canvassing, what in that process uh, is particularly effective and not, uh, and then help tell the story of the canvas overall. So we're just going to focus today on some of the narrative challenges and what we recommended coming out of it. Three things I want to highlight. And again, these were very rich conversations. We learned so much. Some of the challenges that we're up against are, for example, that when we talk about race, it's about how people get along that policy. That's the default mindset that people bring to this conversation across race. Um, now, among urban black respondents, while they, while they tend to default to the you know, interpersonal relationships as well, they are much more able to tap into structural racism. It's much more visible to black audiences, particularly urban black respondents, uh, than it is rural or white respondents. And so they tend to, when they think about um, what they can do and how they can tap uh, deal with racism. They're often talking about building power within the black community. Uh, among rural right respondents, in addition to this idea that it's about how people get along that policy or structures, there is this overwhelming sense, well, it's getting better. Uh, and they're very open to a unity message. They welcome a unity message, but there's no urgency to it. It's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. There's no urgency to it, so that's problematic. Secondly, one of the um, elements that we deliberately explored in these early conversations was around a strategic racism narrative. So people in power 
use their power to keep the rest of us, you know, white and black people battling against each other. And if we realize that, we would join together and um, act accordingly. And, and that is often an effective conversation. Here, one of the things we learned is we had to be very careful with it because reminding people of division can easily further entrench people in that division, particularly if there's not a villain. It's one thing if you're saying this particular candidate or this particular person is trying to divide us, but when it's more generic, it gets a little trickier. We found it was much more effective to really kind of double down on shared goals as Ashley was talking about earlier. Oh, your hospitals are closing, so are ours. <laughs> you don't have any jobs, neither do we. Kind of the shared goals and purposes. And then third, uh, one of the challenges that crossed uh, geographies and race is that there are certain kinds of beliefs that hold people back. One is that government is a whole bunch of elites that don't care about us and they're not like us. The problems are really overwhelming and unsolvable and therefore there's nothing I can do, my voice doesn't matter. And so we recommended coming out of this first round of work to shift the conversation in particular ways, still listening, still open-ended conversation, but instead of orienting around problems, can we orient around aspirations, successes, solutions? Um, instead of highlighting divisions, can we really kind of tap into connections, shared humanity, shared goals and objectives? Um, instead of referencing or putting the power on the few, let's remember the power is with the many. It is about people power and representation. And then finally, emotions are very important and powerful, but in isolation, they're not as effective as when we can embed a conversation about choices, explanations, helping people understand what they can do um, to make things better. So, so broadly, that was the, the pivot um, that we recommended coming out of the early transformative conversations. Mm -hmm. And this is now to you, I then, Ashley, about thinking about the, the way some of the learnings that you got from this program. How did those, or did they influence what you did coming out of this as oh, you definitely. prepped up for, um, for this year? Yeah, so this year we had a Medicaid expansion fight in which we wanted to try um, the narrative that TOPOS recommended and we know that doors, you know, kind of went down the drain for the first half of the year. And so we tested this narrative um, on the phones. And um, again, it was about four organizations that worked and um, we did in the, some of the same communities. And so we tried the narrative on but we weren't getting the authentic conversations, just the ID. And so we went back to Meg and we were like, you know, look at our script, what do we got going on? And Meg says so simply, well, do you have to get the ID first and you can't have the whole conversation? Um, because this year we wanted to make sure people were really um, comfortable with going to vote. Where are they gonna vote with all this stuff that's going on with the mail? with the world, with the police, with COVID, like what, how are people feeling? And so we wanted to figure out how to message um, Medicaid expansion, um, but also um, how are we 
helping you think about the world today. How are we helping you feel comfortable enough to go vote? Um, and how are we still trying to invite you into our organizations to make whatever dream you want in your community come true? Mm-hmm. And so it was more co-creation with the script and a lot of um, regrounding our leaders and our staff and people power. And mm-hmm. we're the people, like, we don't have to talk about party, even though, like, they met, I mean, they, they, they're there. But we're the actual people who have been changing the policy in the state. And um, we're the actual people with the power. And so like, how are we um, gloating in that power and bringing people along with us that wanna join our base and also see these changes? Right, right, right. And just footnote for those who don't know, you won, right? Oh yeah, we won. (laughs) Just footnote. Bam. <laughs> yeah, big win. Big win. Yeah, massive. And I think, you know, you're um one thing I thought was interesting too that you were saying, um, Ashley, about and I've seen this a lot of other groups that I work with or that we support, that weirdly going off the doors in some ways, well, you tell me, but for a lot of groups talk about like they had to go off the doors, so they had they just ramped up their phone program. But in some ways, and particularly, I mean, you already experienced this with, with trying to do work in rural areas, you can have a lot more conversations because yeah. you can get more people on their phone than you can on the door. Yeah. And you can kind of turn it over. The turnover is quicker. I mean, I don't know. That's what I've heard from so many people that this is actually not, I mean, you know, whatever. I, your reflection would be interesting. It's, it's not, I mean... We still love our doors. Yes, right. <laughs> but on the phones, you have to be, it, it really teaches you to be extremely conversational because you're not just very scripty. How am I getting this idea out of you? How am I asking you to sign up to volunteer? And that's it. Um, right. it, it was more of a like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm calling you from around the corner because we did virtual phone banks. Right. And we put in our zip codes where we were calling people within our zip code. So it was like, hey, I'm your neighbor. I'm just calling to have a conversation, you know, hear your right. opinion about what's going on and talk to you about what you can do to change your life, you know? Right. And they were willing to have those conversations. They were like, oh, you just want to have a conversation? It was like, yeah, but I also want to talk about Medicaid expansion. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll have a conversation first. No, I think a lot of people are finding, I I think that all of the disruption in our world right now, as you put it, the mail, the police, COVID, asteroid that almost hit the earth, all these things happening, it's like a lot of people are spending a lot of time on Mr. Phone and they're just like figuring out, you know, so you're, I think a lot of people are finding higher levels of engagement and more willingness to talk because nobody talks to anybody these days except for their dog, you know, or maybe their kids. So they, you know, like, oh, I'll talk to you, sure. Because I'm just sitting here, you know, with nothing else to do. So it's kind of an interesting time for learning and for some of your work. There was a question in the q and I want to put to both of you guys. I'll start with you, Meg, about what, if anything, would you have changed? Knowing what you know now, if you were to rewind 2019, what would you have changed, if anything, about both the process or the design of this program? What would you do differently? That is such an interesting question. I mean, first of all, I think it was just a really robust, well done program when you look at all of the components together. I guess 
what, if, if we were going to, instead of going back to 2019, if we were going to do that program starting today with what we know and kind of the COVID environment and all that, oh, right. one, one thing that might have improved things overall or to consider is to have kind of a robust qualitative pilot before launching the rest of it. Because if we, for example, if we had been able to identify some of the narrative nuances, uh, we, we would have been able perhaps to inform the Analyst Institute quantitative, you know, in a way, maybe there are different kinds of questions that we might have asked based on what we were hearing from people. Um, Maybe there would have been a different way of approaching some of the listening session scripts when we actually did embark on the main experiment. So that, that would be one thing to consider, I think, kind of a robust pilot. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think, Ashley? You have any thoughts on that, either design or program? Yeah. Uh, Process. Actually, uh, we ended up talking to a lot of seniors. Mm. So trying to figure out um, how we use some of these for the pre-surveys, how do we get in touch with um, the lower, you know, more younger yeah. demographic. Which would but, be easier now. Yeah, but, you know, seniors are the ones who are answering their phones here in Missouri, so it is <laughs> um, But also, like, thinking about... Um, the recordings and how, how could we have gotten more recordings? Um, mm -hmm. But also it was an experiment. So we were very strict on the script. Yeah. And so what would have happened if folks started like really playing with it and really tapping into right. it? And some of them were good with that from their guts because they knew like what we were trying to get out of folks. Mm -hmm. And some people were very like, I'm scared to go off of the script. I have to stick to the script. And they weren't getting, you as know, much. Right. as much. Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, that both of all of that makes sense. And particularly trying to figure out how you get the right demographic. It's always hard. Um, I mean, all this stuff is hard. And just to say it out loud, like, um, all of it is hard and dealing with trying to measure outcomes and dealing with people is very challenging. And, and I, do, I do think one of the lessons that I took from, that I have taken away from this work with you guys and with AI is that um, we need to do the best we can to have the best inputs, to get the best outputs and learn what we can, but don't beat ourselves up too much yeah. if things aren't exactly you know, perfect. Right. It, so there can be, there can be, and I'm not saying we, we want rigor in a world where we're dealing with people and lots of people and trying to understand how people think and behave. So we should, again, this kind of gets back a little bit to both the mixed method, but also just the um, sometimes, yeah, it's like this, we have this acculturation around, if I don't say these four words, then my experiment is not valid. Come on. We can yeah. learn a lot of stuff from, yeah, we can learn a lot of stuff even in a world where we didn't say those four words, we only said three of them. Meg, were you going to add on to this? Yeah, I have to tell you, as a researcher, that is huge, right? That you have to be willing, because we want to drive too. You were talking about how organizers right. want to drive, and communicators drive, researchers want right. to drive too. Right. And letting go and saying, no, all right, we're, the conversations are going to be authentic. 
authenticity is more important than being able to script every single conversation. We just have to kind of let go and, and embrace uh, the learning from that. Right. And then no, and learning is iterative. Ashley. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was, yeah, I was going to say, um, I feel like when Jamila came down from Topos, she immediately looked at the data and she goes, um, I can see there's a certain demographic that's just refusing to answer a certain question. Yep. And I was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. look at what that research is telling us really fast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm finding that in this other set of projects that we're supporting, where we are giving support to uh, base building groups to just be able to bring on data staff. Mm. And not because we want to have data reports to report to funders, but so that we can sort of support these organizations in being able to look at their existing data and see what story it tells. You know, because when you're in the work and, and no one's often, a lot of funders aren't supporting um, data and analytics in organizations. They might fund someone to do an experiment, you know, on top of the work, but not for like your organizers, Ashley, your teams to be able to look at a spreadsheet every week that says, who's doing what, who's bringing in what volunteers, who's converting yeah. volunteers at a higher rate to being um, sort of medium level volunteers or super leaders and how many events did this person recruit into no one's if you had a spreadsheet every day for each of your organizers that told them that that's power for you yeah and then to have someone come in and say what's going on with that and not in a way to be like punitive or not for the funders but for that person to be like oh yeah here's what's going on with this all right let's fix that so uh, creating a learning culture because organizing is an art and a science and creating a learning culture around it is I think a huge thing that we could all do in, the in, the, in this field. Uh, okay, I have another question in the Q&A. What were the most unexpected or surprising outcomes or findings? We'll start with you, Meg. Um, I would say, I'll reference something that I said a little bit a minute ago the richness of the information that we got. Because as a researcher, you know, we do controlled experiments. We have our ethnographers who are trained to elicit opinions, blah, blah, blah. Letting go of that and observing and learning from the organizers was challenging for us. And, and we were worried that, that maybe we really wouldn't get the depth of insights that we would if we were managing the conversations directly. Mm. And yet, oh my goodness, the depth of insight we got was astounding. It was amazing. And what about you, Ashley? What was the most surprising or unexpected outcome or finding? Hmm. I think this is going to sound weird, but um, I think one of our most unexpected findings was that like people in rural areas cared about um, economic justice mm. only because so many times when we get into these fights around wages they're often like we phone bake them and they're often like nah I'm okay I make enough down here in my little town I can afford everything that's you big city people need all that extra money and so just to hear the stories of um you know, the crappy stories of factories leaving and whether this Tyson or an aluminum factory or a CAFO is coming in town and they're not paying people 
just really starting to hear these people um, in rural areas not be able to afford their way of life, which yeah. has seemed to be cheap for so long, um, was probably one of the one of the outcomes. I was really I was probably surprised. Yeah, that's very. I mean, again, that's just that's such a valuable thing to have learned, given that you're a statewide organizing group and you're trying to like build this power. Um, the one thing I'll just say one thing and then I'll give you guys one because we have one minute left to close it out. One thing that I just I remember being on a debrief call. And I don't know if this was surprising or whatever, but when I heard I heard the report back from someone, I don't even remember who it was, some of the, someone who's on the organizing team, one of the leads saying, we just want to get back out there. Oh. Like, even after hearing about how it was hard and hearing it was hard to do and there was challenging stuff and there were some people who were confronted with racism on the door and blah, 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 but that the over, and you could feel it in their voice, like, this is exactly what we should be doing. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, that's what we should be doing. So you each have 30 seconds for your last comment, Meg, and then Ashley, you're gonna close us out. Meg Bostrom. Um, I guess I would just wanna reinforce, I mean, I, I love what you said, Julie. I can't say anything quite as eloquent as that was, but I guess hope, aspiration, and success is, is kind of what I take away from this, that, that you know, communities of color, rural communities have really been neglected and in, in a lot of ways a very hostile neglect um, by government. And so that, that people can be inspired to engage and fight and have a better tomorrow and hope for change um, is, is quite, quite rewarding. Ashley? You know, what comes to my mind is Trump people ain't always Trump people, <laughs> you know, and we sit, I sit in St. Louis sometimes and we say, well, those people, you know, in that part of the state are the reason we're like this instead of going to that part of the state and talking to them and actually saying, you know, what's, what's going on because the, again, hostile neglect um is is real and it's everywhere and uh, right. you know this project opened us up to so much decay in some of these rural areas but also where these rich guys are building these golf courses and these <laughs> subdivisions where there used to be census tracts of people yeah and so you know it just you got to see the state in a whole nother light yeah that's so powerful, Ashley. It really is. And it's sort of like, what is the story that is being told or that people are carrying around in their heads that stops this powerful, powerful multiracial coalition of people who work for a living to get what they need out of politics? Right. right. And that's still the question. And we're just going to still keep trying to figure it out. So thanks everybody for joining us. We're gonna wrap it. And um, I hope that everyone found this interesting. Okay, because I know that I did. It's nice to see you guys. I love you guys. Love you too. Right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.